KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. The U.S. is accusing Russia of adding about 7,000 more troops along the Ukrainian border in recent days. CNN cites a senior U.S. administration official who added the increase proves Russia's pullback claims to be false. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki says the U.S. has been in touch with allies and oil suppliers about how a Russian invasion may affect global energy prices. We are uh, engaging with our partners around the world about ensuring supply meets demand as part of our objective uh, from here as well. Texas is suing the federal government over the COVID face mask mandate for airports and airline travel. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton released a statement accusing President Biden of having a repeated disregard for the individual liberties of Texans. Spring training is delayed this week in Arizona and Florida as the Major League Baseball lockout drags into a third month. I'm Brian Shook. Silva and Silva Law is here for all your living trust needs. As attorneys, it's hard to tell someone it's too late to draft a will or living trust. Planning for one's final wishes is never easy, and the last thing you want to do is leave a mess for your children to clean up, or even worse, have to go through the probate process. Silva and Silva Law is a father-daughter law firm located in downtown Redlands. Find us on Facebook or call 909-798-1500. 909-798-1500. Have your revocable living trust drafted by an experienced attorney and tailored to your specific needs. Call Silva and Silva Law, 909-798-1500. Baby's First Photos reminds all our lady listeners that are between 35 and 55 that breast cancer is a serious issue. One out of eight women fall victim to the silent predator. But if detected early, steps can be taken towards the treatment and prevention. Ladies, please schedule a complete physical exam and a breast cancer screening today. This reminder courtesy of Baby's First Photos, serving the area with pride and integrity to capture those childhood memories that last a lifetime. Or for 3D or 4D packages or more, call today at 951 951-682-008 or visit babiesonephotos.com for more info. That's Baby's First Photos on the air because they truly care. Medicare Clarified. Hi, this is George Litchfield with Litchfield Insurance Associates. Well, it's getting close to that time of year again where you want to make sure you're getting the most out of your Medicare plan. There are exciting new plans for 2022 with United Healthcare, SCAN, and others. For your no-obligation review, people are calling 951-314-1949. If you're turning 65, new to the area, or losing group coverage, and have questions about Medicare, you are invited to our new offices and resource center at the Sundance Corporate Center, 835 Highland Springs Avenue, Suite 305 in Beaumont. For your no-cost Medicare consultation, people are calling 951-314-1949 to get their Medicare clarified. For several years, KCAA has been marketing the Longevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with Longevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse, and for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. K-C-A-A. Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hello, everyone. I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, heard on KCAA the NBC affiliate out in California. And thank you so much for listening to us on KCAA and also watching our podcast on so many platforms. 
We really appreciate you watching and listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Today we have a show that's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Clay Meyer is on the show and he has a bio like no other. He's a saddle bronc rider. He's a liberty rider. He's a long reign authority. He's a carriage driver. And he's a pioneer in the equine business model of the DVDs and the clinics. And he started it. And he, he's helped all of us get along down the road for sure. Plus, he's been all over the world. There's going to be some great stories, some good business insight, and just a lot of fun. So, Clay, thank you so much for being on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Well, it's awesome to be here, Scott. Thank you for having me. Man, I love your background. That is just beautiful. It's unique. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so where do you call home? Well, currently, oddly enough, I live in Mexico. Um, and I've only lived there, oh, maybe six months. But I, um, oh, I was training horses every day. And I thought, well, I really don't need to do this every single day. I think I would like to just do maybe five or six clinics a year. And so I thought, well, where do I want to live, uh, you know, full time? And th so I thought, well, I like living out of the country I've, because I've traveled a lot overseas and did right. equestrian events overseas. And I, um, I thought, well, I'm going to go down to Mexico and see. I, I, I knew I knew uh, I knew Vicente Fernandez, you know, who just recently passed away. And he's a Mexican entertainer, performer. He's been a family friend for a long time, and they have a fabulous um, uh, horse park of their own. And uh, I thought, well, I can always go to Vicente's place, kind of do some horse things. So I moved down to Lake Chapala. And, and I think a lot of listeners out there have probably heard of Lake Chapala. Right. A lot of Americans go down there, and it's 15 minutes from Vicente's place. But so anyhow, I've been down in Mexico for about six months. I don't know if I'll be there forever, but I'm sure enjoying it right now. That is awesome, man. That is so cool. And the sky is absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm not in Mexico at the moment. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I understand. I understand. But your background is so cool. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I'm at my brother's place here in uh, Central California. And he's kind of a collector of Western memorabilia. There and you there's go old stagecoaches, chuck wagons, and things all sitting around here. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I saw a cool picture of you, Clay, a, a rodeo, rodeo team picture, a college rodeo. And, and, yeah. and you were a saddle bronc rider, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that was um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 70s. In 19, um, well, I went to college rodeos from 72 through 76. And um, I was fortunate enough out here on the in the West Coast Division, Fresno State and uh, Cal Poly at San Luis Obispo were big powerhouse, um, you know, rodeo teams. And so I got on the team at Fresno State and I spent a couple of great years with a bunch of great guys. And we I rode saddle broncs. I still wrestled and rode bulls, too. Neither one of them were not my event, but um, we all steer wrestled because we had some guys that, that really knew how to coach us up, you know, gotcha. so gotcha. I did a little steer wrestling and I would, I would get on a bull, but Saddle Bronc was my event and I ended up third in the nation in 1970, wow. 75, 1975, I was third in the nation. So it's yeah. a big accomplishment. Well, I sure enjoyed it. You know, it, it I, I wished I could just stay at that age and done that forever, but then I'd have missed out on all the other good things. Oh yeah. You lived in such a great life and, it, and you just yeah. keep getting more and more stories. And so, so take somebody back on the college rodeo team. Do you remember a fun story or something back in the rodeo days on the college team? Cause you had a pretty, uh, a lot of characters on the team. Okay. Well, I got a character that pretty much everybody knows is okay. uh, Pat Pirelli. Pat Pirelli was on our rodeo team. And um, I have a funny story about Pat. Okay. I've told this story. Pat knows the story. And the rodeo is over, and we're in Arizona somewhere. And, and Pat has a re-ride, which is after the rodeo. And so the rest of the Cowboys, we're packing up and getting ready to go. But we're going to rush back over and watch Pat ride his bareback horse. 
And so Pat comes out of the gate and that horse just takes off at a dead run. You know, it is not bucking. It's, it's like a racehorse running around this arena, which is very dangerous. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, that's one of the most dangerous things. And Pat has been over with both hands hanging on to his, his surcingle. And he races by and four or five of us team members are sitting on the fence. And he is coming by thundering fast. And he goes by as he goes by, he goes, <laughs> waves at us like that, just to let us know he was okay, you know. That's and, awesome. And, that awesome. But, and it, 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 it's kind of funnier if you were there, but that was, uh, that's a good Pat Morelli story. That yeah. is great. Yeah. You yeah. know, something so dangerous and he kind of turns it comical, but it is dangerous for sure when they're all out like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a horse, you know, you're, you're in a, very unathletic position and a horse could duck one way or another you know you it, it's no laughing matter but but pat made it fun for us that's cool that's great yeah. story great story yeah. so when you went out of, when you graduated and left college what 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 started the progression to travel the world well i um i i got involved with frisian horses okay. and at the time that I began, there were only free, 15 Frisians in the United States. Wow. And um, you, could, you could do darn near anything with them. You know, they were wonderful carriage horses. And I'd had a background growing up. My dad had us all driving horses as soon as we could keep a grip, you know, with little kids. And um, so we were, you know, I, I was driving horses long before the sport of driving became popular. And I, lucked into the to, to Frisian horses and I went off and shown them all everywhere and they were just jaw dropping you know they because they could compete so well and they were just so beautiful and they worked so well together and they had a certain magic that um it's just undeniable when you see Frisian horses doing something well it's it's majestic so <clears throat> we did the driving and then we thought, well, what can we do to show the Frisian do more things? And a good friend of mine up in Oregon, Judy Knapp, um, owns some Frisians. And she said, let's think of something that we can do, or we can do an exhibition with these horses. And we let's do as many things as we can with them. So we got two horses. Well, we, she had, she had five or six, but I had two where I rode one and drove another one in tandem. Cool. And we did high school stuff, you know, like dancing horses where they pee off and massage and lead changes, tempi changes. We taught them to lay down, sit up, rear up, doing these things. So, you know, we kind of combined driving, we combined dressage, we combined jumping, um, you know, and a little bit of daredevil stuff. So we choreographed the musical performance and we were very fortunate to have been able, I've done that on all four corners of the United States from Vancouver to Del Mar to, you know, South Bay to up in uh, Nova Scotia, you know, wow. everywhere and everywhere in between. We did that show. And so, um, you know, that, that took up a big part of my time was, was to that, it, it was a, it was a performance that we were a list, you know, yeah. like, Oh, we, you know, if there are three or four performances out there that you had to have them for your event. And we got in that circle. Very and so, yeah, we were, we were very, very fortunate. One of our clients was the Kentucky horse park, you know, where they would have us like, Hey, whenever you're in our area, come in, stay for a couple of days stay for a month whatever you're, you've got a home here just do shows do whatever you want and then eventually the kentucky horse park said look why don't you just do what you do but just live here you know <laughs> and so i did and then i ended up working for the kentucky horse park i became the manager of equine operations at the horse park wow. and which which kind of oversaw the public presentations of horses and so and that happened to you know just before the world equestrian games came in 2010 right. and they were kind of ramping up for that time and so they and 
with my experience in entertainment, uh, equestrian entertainment, it was something that they wanted to add into their kind of portfolio of things that they could provide. And, and so I, I, I did that. And then I was, I ended up being involved in the World Equestrian Games in 2010. I, um, I, it ended up that, uh, oh, that there were meetings. This was such a, it's such a big business putting on the World Equestrian Games. I mean, they had big corporate offices where everyone met for a year and a half, just daily. There were, I, I can't even begin to do it justice of all of the complications of putting an event like that on was. But however, I, I ended up being in the world in, in the opening ceremonies and they had, um, oh, uh, a musical director and a, and a show production person. And there were, oh, there were world-class entertainers and singers and dancers and everything that are in these opening ceremonies. But it was my duty to provide the um, equestrian entertainment. And since I knew everyone, that was the easy part. Okay, right. guys, we, you know, look, and these are all personal friends of mine. And it was, that part was a joy. You know, yeah. it was a joy to be able to call up a good friend on the phone and say, look, I gotta have you come down here. We're gonna do that. You know, there's gonna be 30,000 people in the audience. And uh, so, I got to I got involved in that and that's so uh, much fun. That's it, it's it such was, a big deal, the, the World Equestrian Games. But but just to um to uh do, to be at Kentucky Park, those were so important for that whole region of the United States at that time. And you helped develop was, that, right? I mean that was it, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It it you know the thing is is that in Kentucky and everybody in the state of Kentucky knows that horses are their calling card and they knew a good thing when they saw it because you see the kentucky horse park is a state-owned facility and um you know it's 1200 acres there's i don't know many how many hundreds of people work there and how many horses are involved and all of that well um you know they they began by putting in a world-class outdoor stadium, a world-class indoor arena just for horses. They started adding these types of things to their existence to, to, so that it became attractive to the World Equestrian Games. Right. Well, pretty soon, a lot of, um, oh, a lot of the individual breeds like the Frisian Horse Association, they, they, they put their offices there. And now I don't know how many offices, breed offices are right there, but that grew. And when, when that happens, pretty soon more horse operations started popping up that were something besides racing. They would go and buy these tobacco farms. Uh, you, know, they, you know, these little okay. tobacco farms because they right. stopped growing tobacco so much. And, and these little... 15 20 acres you know because like it's funny thing about those tobacco farms it isn't like i grew up in california where there's a lot of agriculture there's big fields and rows well tobacco farms are little jig-jag puzzles you know and so they would sell those and they always would come with a nice tobacco barn which made a great horse barn you know because yeah so you just start seeing all these oh a lot of people in in every um in every discipline of horsemanship moved to the, to the Lexington area. Wow. And before long, you had the horse park that's bringing in, oh, like the Robert Murphy uh, Hunter Jumper Show, which is just a mega event. Um, and then there's jumping horses who are just living all around. You know, they just move into the area. You know, they would, you know, to where they, they could ride their horses off off the facility bring them in and show them or you know they just had a whole industry grew right there wow so what was the day like there because you were there for seven or eight years i think is what what we were talking about but what was the day like because there's a lot going on all day long <laughs> and it seems like it'd be a long day for sure a fun day well uh with me <clears throat> I, and i used to always do this um 
I always like to ride my horses early, you know, yeah, yeah. and early. And I would, I would be on my horses in Kentucky long before the sun came up. And, um, and I had an opportunity to do my horses. And then, um, and before I actually became involved as part of the personnel at the horse park, you know, I'd work my horses, I'd come back, I'd have the stalls clean and fresh, have them washed, put away and everything. And by 10 o'clock, they're ridden, washed, fresh shavings and happy, you know, and later on in the afternoon, I'll turn them out in the turnout, you know, but, um, and, you know, for the night, but, um, you know, I always kind of tried to get that done early, but then as I became involved with the horse park more officially, I would finish that up by around 10 and then I would go to the equine operations offices and we would, um, we had two daily presentations that 11 o'clock and two o'clock that were open to the public. And I would work out a program for those daily, uh, those daily presentations. And then, you know, we would have, um, oh, different exhibitors come in uh, that are putting on a horse show and they'll say, gosh, you guys, what have you guys got that you could bring in that we could use for some kind of, some kind of entertainment for our show tonight, you know? And so we would work and put together a presentation for their particular show, which we did quite a bit of. And then we always had, um, we, we did a lot of things with the local kids and we always had, um, we would work on a, one, once a year, we would do a, um, we'd have it in the big, the big new uh, indoor arena. We'd had the place just packed with kids from all over Kentucky. You know, they're just wow. loaded. And we would do some story. Um, oh, what was the, the war horse uh, story? You know, that was that back right. 10 years ago. I don't know if it, but there was a, a world war one horse that, uh, that they, that they kind of um, did a movie about. And so we, we reenacted that story. Um, we reenacted um certain rick sea biscuit you know and his story yeah, you know, yeah. and we had old cars and we had old horse trailers and we kind of set up a race inside the arena we would do we would do a multiple things you know we would be busy on those kinds of things all the time and that was before the world equestrian games and when that came that was a game changer everything you know? changed then didn't everything it? changed then you know because from then on you had uh, serious meetings with security people, serious meetings with state, um, you know, taking and having horses in quarantine and all of, and they wanted to know, okay, when they drive here, what road are they going to go down there? What security guy are they going to see here? And what pin can they wow. use there? And, you know, so we, details like that, you know, we, 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 be, we kind of committed ourselves to it. And then also, not only did we do the opening ceremonies, but we also had um, every breed and every organization had the uh, in the United States had the opportunity during those 10 days to come and do a presentation of some sort. And working out those details was incredible. And we would change those every three days. Wow. And, and and so that was uh well i think we had three i guess i think maybe it was 12 days that the games went on i don't recall but it was three or four times we had to tra change those getting those trucks out and bringing those horses in and setting up the you know the um environment for them to be most comfortable and and you have to really be a diplomat you know because yeah. as you know in the horse industry people have they come there and it's their moment and they want to be able to, yeah. to, you know, to look their best. And so it was our job to, um, you know, facilitate that for them. And that's that's so a cool. great time, great memory. Met some wonderful people from all over the world that'll be friends forever. Yeah. Scott will be right back with more. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Today, we're going to talk about something I'm really passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. Those that don't, now you know I do. 
And we've been working on this for several months and we, we wanted to get it just right. And we don't put our name on anything unless we feel 100% certain it's, it's the best product we can get. And uh, we, we've done it. I really believe we've done it. We've created a coffee line, 13 great flavors. I'm gonna show you three of them. We have K-Cups in all 13 flavors. Here's a Jamaican Me Crazy. It's a, just a really great coffee. Everyone has great logos. It has a brand, the same brand that's on our horses, our trailers. You know that brand means something and we wouldn't put it on here if it wasn't good coffee. We have whole bean. This is a great Honduran blend and uh, it's a whole bean coffee. We have whole bean in all 13 flavors. And then we have a ground coffee. Uh, this is a really great one. My wife and I really like this a lot, loved it. So we named it after our daughter, Hayes Glenn. Everyone has the packaging and the logo of the show, our brand, and I hope you like it. I, I really believe you will. And we're gonna have more flavors coming out soon. We're gonna have the pumpkin spices and then we're gonna go to peppermint after that. And please send us your suggestions as well. You can find it at cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Think coffee shop, cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Thank you so much. Hey, I want to yeah. go back to Frisians real quick. So just, just, uh, so there was only what, 14 or 15, I think you said in the country and you were training or working with eight or nine of them. There were so, 15 in the country. I was training nine of them. And, so, uh, so when you'd go around and people would see a Frisian for the first time, would you have to explain what what they are or what they can do? What was it? What was that like? Well, let me. I can explain even in my own situation. You know, yes, that be awesome. a, a horseshoer right here locally, who's a good friend of my dad's, and I happened to be home. Um, I was off going to rodeos and things, but I happened to be home, and he said. Clay, you ought to come with me. I got to show you some of these horses. You've never seen anything like them in your life. Now, I have grown up with horses. I have seen every breed, every crossbreed. I didn't think there was a horse alive that right. I, you know, that or something that looked close. You know, there's, you're not going to surprise me, I thought. You know, yeah. so yeah. we go to, a, it was at a dairy. And um, there were, there was this, the dairyman had built this barn for him, very Dutch style, a big sliding door as you go in. And it was in the middle of the hot summer. And we came in and we opened those sliding doors. It was dark in there. And, and there was a faint light. And, but you could hear these chains going because the horses had um, a block that ran through a ring and then a chain come up and snapped them into these tie stalls to where they could move back and forth. But the thing would kind of, you know, small, very little block. And, and you could hear them rattling around in there. And then I walked behind them and it's just like, well, I'll be damned. I've never seen anything <laughs> like this in my life. You know, they, they were light horse size, you know, I mean, they're not draft horse sized, you know, they were European size. Right jet black, full manes and tails, and every one of them looked identical. You know, it was a beautiful sight. Oh, it was just a beautiful sight. I'll never forget it. And, no. and then after that, when I would, and I mean, I I was shocked. I mean, I, I was so surprised. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Well, anyway, I, after I got to training them and we went off and did events, knowledgeable horse people, not people I knew who were knowledgeable horse people would walk up and go, my word, what is that? You know, what kind of horse is that? And then you'd tell the story. And then uh, I it went through that phase and to a very knowledgeable horse people, you know, they just turned their heads, you know, like, look at that. So and that's funny. what a Frisian does. You know, Frisian horses do that. They, they make people look. Yeah. And when you see more, the more of them, the better. You know, we always showed them in fours or sixes or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And they were marching in unison and their manes and tails. It, it was very striking. And so after a while, after a couple of years went by, people would say, walk up to me and say, instead of, hey, what is that? They say, is that a Frisian? <laughs> you know, and I go, yeah, yeah, that's a Frisian, you know. And then pretty soon it got to, hey, come over here and look at these Frisians, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> that's why I said at the beginning, you're a pioneer. Uh, I yeah. was, I absolutely, I was involved in all of the association uh, 
uh, early meetings for the associations and all, all of the planning of horse events that we had to do in those days. You know, we had to plan, okay, what are we going to do? Or are we going to, <clears throat> we can't be in the draft courses, we're going to be in the light driving classes and, right. shall, you know, de deciding what kind of uh, end of the year awards and you know, all of those things you just started from scratch with, you know, so. I, I love yeah. it. Was love I, I love it because it's 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 a horse and then you're creating a business model kentucky yeah, horse park did. starts with a we horse did. and you create we a business did. model yeah we and, did one of the nice things is is they're still affiliated to the old association in friesland where in in the netherlands where inspectors come from the netherlands to you know it's it's european style where they they look at that full while it's on it by its mother's side and then they give it a grade and, and they grade it from full one-year-old two-year-old and then they give it a you know a grade each year and then wow. you know you can't just have a stallion and say i'm going to stand this stallion and and stay in the books you have to have permission from the association or not permission your horse has got to be designated as a as a breeding stallion wow so very it, controlled. It was very complicated. Very yeah. controlled. Yeah, it is. But that's why they're so beautiful. I mean, yeah, they are. There's it's nothing but the best. Yeah, that's that's right. So so let's transition overseas. And, well, and we're going to China now, and and, and we, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that or Taiwan. Any, it, just pick a country. You know. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's very important to me. Okay. Uh, on that topic, is when I was going to rodeos and after college rodeos, I went to a, as many pro rodeos as I could get around to. I just love traveling. I love being able, in those days, we'd pick up the rodeo sports news and say, let's go to New Mexico or let's go to Wyoming. You know, you just pick the spot and you and two or three buddies off you went. You know? right. Well, a few of the rodeo contractors, we really, like there was a guy here out here on the West Coast at the time, his name was Bob Cook. He had a company called RSC, Rodeo Stock Contractors. He had an RSC, you know, it was yeah, his brand. Very and cool. um, we were, two or three of us were, were loyal to him to no end. He was, if, um, you know, he was a, um, Ben, he, he's kind of like a Ben Johnson character. You oh, know, just, wow. Wow. You know, just. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cowboys, cowboys. Cowboys, cowboy, you yeah. know, and you wanted to do right. You, if he told you, you didn't have to. He didn't have to tell you twice. If you were, if you understood him and you were part of his crew, you just did what he wanted. You, you got after it, you know. Wow. So I was proud to be part of that team. And he, he, and now he did rodeos all over the United States, but then he ended up taking the first show to Taiwan, which was a rodeo show where they would do three events three riders in each event and and the very first one there were only eight cowboys that did three in each event in all events wow you know so i mean i roped calves i team roped i i'd get on a bull once in a while i'd rode saddle box i picked up you know I, you know you everybody did a bunch of things right and right. so and, and we were like gladiators, you know, we were, <clears throat> we would do three shows a day and oh, you that's know, tough. And this was tough sport, and it was hard know? on a lot of people. It was yeah. hard on a lot of people. I think about towards the last couple of weeks, there were, there were eight of us and four of them were just like, Hey, we're ready just to go home. You know? and, the other, and the other four of us said, Hey, let them go. Let us have their money. Yeah. <laughs> Bob says, Oh no, that's not going to happen. Everybody's getting out there, you know? So, yeah. uh, no, it, it was a, it was a hard, tough experience, but Bob, um, he, um, he did other events like, Oh, we did a, a, two events in Japan, another event, event in Belgium, and then later on, I did I did shows myself in China, but where they were wild wild west shows. But um, at, but as we progressed, like the couple of shows we had in Japan, 
Bob's budget was a little bigger. We had like 20 cowboys and we all had nice jackets and we had, uh, you know, American rodeo show on them and, you know, really first class all the way. And and we got days off and and we didn't have to work all every, every rodeo. So, you know, and then it became, but we were the pioneer, (coughs) the first guys, you know, the first jump out. And, and so we did, we did a number of those rodeo shows and then, um, my dad, um, who was in the equestrian entertainment as, as well, um, got involved with a, a show in 1986, just before Tiananmen Square in China. And they wanted a Wild West show. And so they had Native Americans, they had stunt men, they had trick riders, they had um, gun spinners, and, you know, and they brought them there. Well, I had gone over earlier. My only job was to get the stock there. And so, you know, and which is a, quite a story, getting that stock from here. I was going to say the only job, but that's a big job. Oh, it was. Briefly, I'll just say briefly. I mean, we ended up on a barge going up the Pearl River, you know, um, with the horses on deck. And, uh, you know, it was it was an amazing i can tell you more about that but uh we uh, we but but anyhow we had done all these rodeo shows and by then i was pretty comfortable i'd done as many shows overseas you know and these shows would last all summer long you know they would be you you didn't go there for four or five days this went on lengthy time so we i ended up working on this show in um china for my dad and they had a japanese director and he was organizing, directing the show. And he's a great guy. He was a, he was a super guy. He was conscientious. He wanted to produce a good event, but it was difficult for him to communicate, even though he spoke wonderful English, but in order to improvise with, um, uh-huh. with some of the participants. And so after a while, you know, some, some of the guys I knew, they said, maybe you ought to let Clay do this, you know? And so I ended up being the director of it. And I put together a show that was um, segued everything together that had a storyline that involved all of the different participants to where they could, once we did it the first time, it just got better and better and better and better. And we were there all summer long. So by the end of it, you know, it was like a well-oiled machine, you know, because, you know, people would think, why if I did this or how about if I did that, you know? And so, and all of them were very creative. We had stuntmen that were jumping off 40 feet buildings, you know, (laughs) landing in foam rubber piles and, and they were, you know, thinking, well, what if I did, what if I, when I fall, what if I, you know, and and throw in some other little thing, you know? And so, you know, the storyline became better. The Chinese people were, very interesting. Um, I had done a lot of shows in, in the Orient, but the Chinese people, they would ride trains for hundreds of miles to come to the show. Wow. And they would come into the, they'd be in this show and they didn't really react like cheering or laughing or, you know, clapping their hands. Uh, it was polite, you know, applause. Um, but, uh, then after the show, they wouldn't leave. They just crowds of people were still swarming around the outside of the arena. And they were just peeking over the fence at us, watching us do our chores and stuff. Wow. And, and as one of the interpreters there told me, he said, for so many of these Chinese people, you know, they've all heard of the American cowboy. But, you know, it's sort of like a myth, you know, mm-hmm. it's to, to some to the to the average Chinese man who's out and working in the world. You know, you have you don't have magazines that you're reading about them where they see oh this cow. Well, maybe they do now. But in those days, they didn't. And and but they've heard stories. And here we are. It was almost and, and I always kind of compare it's like Mickey Mouse had landed on, you know, in China and they were all rushing to see Mickey Mouse who's, who's alive and running around out there and so we were cowboys and we um they came to see that and i do believe they enjoyed it very much and because it was packed 
you know, we'd sell out every show and people would just would ride the train was the way they got there. No one, there was no parking lots. They rode the train and they walked from the railroad station down to the to where the arena was. You know, wow. nobody rode the car. It, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Just massive, massive it, people just walking down the street, you know. Just the effort to get there to to watch the show is just so hard to yeah. believe. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com. So why do you think the love of the American cowboy around the world, is it, what do you think it is? Because there's a big draw still around the world. Oh, I know it. I know it. Um, Well, while the American cowboy is a real and true um, entity, you know, that do stand for a number of principles. There are many good cowboys that are out there that are hardworking every day and, and, living a lifestyle that um, most people just don't understand. Well, anyway, people have written about that and they've created almost a myth about that. It really isn't some of these cowboys that are working out in Nevada or something anymore. It's some other thing, you know, that, you know, how that evolves, how stories grow and it becomes, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the greatest stories in the world. You know, that, that, that in the, the world is, is the American cowboy. And where, whatever country, I've, I've had the, the for, good fortune to performed all over Europe, all over Asia. They, it's an honor for them to meet a cowboy. Yeah. And I, I've, I, I just, it was, an, I got addicted to that, you know, to thinking, yes, I am a cowboy. But yeah. I'm, we're going to do our best to give you a good show. Isn't that you know, great? Isn't that you know, wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> Man. Oh my goodness. So what's a funny story? Something maybe behind the scenes that happened in China or one of these other countries that Oh, I got the perfect share. one. Okay. In Taiwan. Now remember, we're shorthanded. There's only eight of us there. Yeah, getting and, beat up. But, pardon? Getting yeah, beat, up. beat up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we would um we would have to um um we would move the show every two weeks and we were there like eight weeks. And so we had to move the show like four, three or four times. And the very first time that we moved the show, um, they would put cowboys to go with the livestock, you know, the trucks that hauled the livestock and these trucks were like dump trucks, but they took and build like racks on the side with bamboo. And now we've got buffalo in there, oh and my we've got goodness. we've got bucket bowls in there, and but I'll tell you what, they're pretty darn handy with some bamboo. You know, they know <laughs> they can make something that's you know that'll stand up. You know, we never we never lost an animal on those trucks, but they were dump trucks with sides on them about like that, and then bamboo up the top, and then and they're kind of like a big flatbed truck, and then. The cab was up in front and we would get in the cab. But after a while, we just ride up on top of the cab because that way we can keep an eye on the stock and and ride in that right on top of the truck. And we're just whipping and winding down these roads, you know, riding on top. You know, we saw other people doing it, you know, so hey, let's let's get up on top. And myself and another good friend of mine, uh, (laughs) we got to the. Tom Bone, a good buddy of mine, he he and I got to uh, the next location, and we we got there, and we got out out of the truck. And we looked, oh boy, the pins look good. The arena's great. They've got the bucking shoots set up nice, and oh, they did a good job on the, you know, the shoots, the the rope and shoots, and the boxes all look good. And, you know, the hay's stacked up nice. Everything's good. There's no there's no loading shoots. And I remember these things are on flatbed trucks, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, they could dump them, you know, but <laughs> that wasn't going to work. So we, um, we just didn't know what to do. So we just started walking down the street. And now again, like I said earlier, it's something to see a cowboy walking around and, right. and we're in Taiwan and two cowboys are walking down the street. 
and we're looking for material to build a load and shoot. <laughs> Does that not sound crazy? It's amazing. You know we're just going to walk down the street and find materials to make a load and shoot. Well, we did. You know, we found a couple of big beams, you know, and and we we there was we 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 hand signaled and communicated, at, you know, of what we, we pointed to our truck and we said, you know, they kind of got the idea that we needed that, you know, right. that it was important to us. And they got the idea we need to unload them. So after a while, four or five of them got to where they were on our team trying to we know other guys that got stuff. Pretty soon there's 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 50 people following us down the street. And we're, we're going from one house to the next, looking in the backyard, and some guy goes in there and tells <laughs> the story, you know, and, and he'll shake his head and point down the road someplace else, and we'd walk on down the street. Well, it didn't take us but a couple hours. We, uh, we and, and I'll tell you what, we built a, a, a load and shoot somehow i don't know how <laughs> without a nail without a screw without a hammer or anything we made a load and shoot with side you know racks on the side and stable enough to where we could get them out of there and um, oh my yeah so that was that was a story i'll never forget and my buddy and i tom we laugh about that all the time. Remember when we got off that truck and we had to walk down that street? And, and I mean, there was a slew of people following us everywhere. Oh my goodness. I had to see what was going on, but you talk about <laughs> improvision, man. That's something else with Buffalo yeah. and bulls. And, and yeah. uh, I, I can relate, you know, we didn't build our own, but there's been times when, you know, how are we going to unload? And yeah, you uh, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine being in Taiwan doing it. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. And, you know, we had to do a lot of those kinds of things. You have to, you know, like, for instance, one of the shows, we had actually ice skaters and circus performers in these indoor shows we were doing with in, in Taiwan. So above the um, rope and shoots was the skating rink, was above us. Oh you had goodness. to go in there, like, if you go ride in the box, your head's just this hit low below the the um, ice skating <laughs> <laughs> You had to ride on in there, and and you know you they you they didn't really see you. You were you kind of rode in there, and then you kept racing out. You know, so uh, oh my goodness, you had to things were not things were not set up exactly the way we we were accustomed to all the time. But you found a way. We found a way. Yeah, found, found a way. A way. So let's talk about something else that's really interested and in, in, uh, the, the Queen's Jubilee. So how did you get to do that? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, I'm just gonna move my camera just a little bit here because the sun's kind of catching me a little bit there. Sure, okay. sure. Well, um, what, how that worked was um, during the World Equestrian Games, the rehearsals lasted two weeks prior to the to the opening ceremonies and it was um i think the uh i think the uh, games were in october the first week of october but we were rehearsing the beginning of september it was very warm humid in uh, kentucky at the time and we were in this giant arena i don't know if you've ever seen the um, main arena there at the kentucky horse park the big stadium you know it's it's giant and um, we had been rehearsing and I'm, I'm rehearsing with the, you know, I've, I had a group of Native Americans there, you know, from the Sioux Indian Reservation. Um, you know, it was a very colorful event and a lot of cowboys, you know, all kinds of a variety of different types of equestrian entertainment, not, not always cowboys and Indian stuff, but, but also, you know, uh, Rosenbach riders who perform circus type performances and things, but a number of things. But in any case, one day while we're rehearsing, a couple of men walk and you can see them walking because it's a huge arena and they're walking out to, out to where I'm at with three or four people kind of huddled out in the middle of this big giant arena. And we, these two guys come up and they're from England and they're, they're English and, you know, spoke with an English accent. 
and they introduced themselves. And then he said, he asked me, would you be interested in putting together a, a Western segment for the uh, Diamond Jubilee to be held in 2012 at Windsor? Wow. I said, well, I'd love to, you know, and we exchanged cards. And I thought to myself, if I never hear from him again, I'm honored that yeah. someone would come ask me that, you know, wherever it may go from here, the thought that he came and asked was Very pretty cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah, really cool. And he turned out he was a major, he, he, he had a rank of major in the, uh, oh, uh, in the military, but he did a number of Queens equestrian type events. I can't think of his name offhand, but he's very well known in England. And so uh, later on, it was long. It was a few days after the Equestrian Games were over. We started exchanging emails, and we started talking about what, how long we. Now there were sixty countries came to Windsor at the Royal at the the Windsor Horse Show. Well, they just kind of hyped that up big time. Sixty different countries came in with their horses. And each of them did something that they they were nationally known for, so you know I got to do a cowboy show. You know, and, How uh, cool is that? We, we had stagecoaches, we had Pony Express, we had some great trick ropers, trick riders. Uh, we had um, a good little Western show, and again, they you know other than the Native Americans, they they. I'd worked with all these other people like all the time. So I, they could think like I think, you know, right, and so it was right. easy for me to, you know, we were directing the show, riding on the air, you know, put together the show as we were flying over on the airplane. I had a rough idea, but was we get, when everybody's sitting on the airplane, it's the first time we were all together and I'd write something down, pass it up to so-and-so, you know, and right there, we've done a lot of shows riding on the airplane. Oh you know, my before goodness. You get you know, say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, and then somebody get back and walk up, no, that's not going to work, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know. But uh, anyway, we, we did. We got to put on that show. And, um, oh, I got to, I actually had, <laughs> I could actually say I had, I had tea with the Queen of England. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, I did. I went to, they came around and they gave out these very formal I still have it. It's a beautifully en engraved invitation and to where myself and three others could go. And so I selected an another cowboy. And then I selected two Indian gals that were from Colorado that were just, well, you know, one was from Colorado and one was from Wyoming that were just so lovely to work with. You know, they were... You know, because sometimes, you know, doing a, you know, for instance, and, and there are among everyone, everybody, American cowboys won't do something because that's just not the way it's done. You know, right. I know cowboys that are that way. And, and I respect that very much. You know, though, you know, but sure. uh, uh, there were certain members of Native Americans that that kind of dance is not appropriate for this show. And these gals would go to him and say but what remember back in the turn of the century when president so-and-so grant showed up and they did that dance for something well yes they did but and so they were they were my little ambassadors you know and, nice. yeah they were they were on my side they wanted the show to go well you know so you know they could they could kind of go in there and see figure out what kind of what kind of dances they were going to do and how to explain it so every we I I didn't want anybody to be uncomfortable at all you know right. and so if it, if anybody was uncomfortable we're not doing it you know yeah. so uh, and that was that was something and and just getting all of their regalia into the into England you know because there are lots of endangered species items that they wear you know like an eagle feather you can't take an eagle feather through customs you know, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. much less one with 40 eagle feathers and big yes. oh my or, goodness or certain, yeah certain kinds of turtle shells and all these different things and you know you had to write down everything like that that they were going to bring 
and then they had to write how they received it, how long it had been in their family, and things like that. And then we had, um, you know, officials from the English government there to walk them through and get them through it. But it was, um, it was, uh, we were on the phone quite a bit. Getting passports for everybody is not easy. Oh my goodness! I bet that was something else. Oh my goodness! What a production! So speaking of production movies, so I know you've been affiliated with a couple of movies. Would you mind talking a little yeah. bit about that? Sure. All right. I well, you know, I I um, I just you know just being in the right place at the right time. You know, well, one thing that I did do was uh, I've been in. Um, oh maybe 10 12 uh rose parades in the rose parade driving oh, Frisian right. horse in the rose yeah. parade and right. a lot of things came from people seeing you in that oh and wow, wow. It, it, yeah and so I, I think the first one was um, eddie murphy's coming to america <laughs> <laughs> that's so good <laughs> yeah eddie murphy's coming to america at the end and probably nobody says, I never saw any horses in coming to America. Well, at the end, he marries the beautiful girl from New York and he brings her, you know, he's getting married in his castle or whatever. Right, and right. Uh, he comes out of the castle and he gets in a carriage, which is my carriage and horses at, uh, that he rode away in. So I actually wasn't in the movie, my horses and carriage were. Very cool. And, uh, but I did do another movie that I spent a lot of time on, had a great time, a really good time. And people, it was uh, Kevin Costner did um, uh, The Postman. The Postman. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, the Postman uh, was a lot of fun. It was filmed in Oregon, and I was living in Oregon at the time. And I, know, I don't know many of your listeners recall the plot, but it was kind of like after the apocalypse or something, and there were good guys and bad guys. And the postman was the one who kept, he was the representative of the government that rode around. Well, I was on the bad guy team. And uh, <laughs> my horses pulled a cannon. Oh, my and, goodness. And I was in the army of the bad guys. And, and which was a lot of fun because I had a couple of pretty good broke horses that were, you know, you, it didn't matter what you threw at them. They were, they were, you know, they were about 14, 15 year olds and they'd been around, they'd done stuff and nothing was going to get under their skin. And, but you'd have to gallop across sagebrush and everything. I'd go out and ride and drive around at first, make sure that there's no holes and stuff kind of say oh yeah i can do this so i'd ride up and down drive around okay you've got to gallop from half a mile across this thing as hard as they can run you know and yeah so uh that was kind of fun and, oh, man. and also i must say kevin costner was a really straight up guy you know That's, he was isn't that uh, nice yeah he, he was he had his family with him and every day he spent time with his kids isn't and that great? Uh, and his kids got to play dead guys <laughs> so like if there was a oh, battle wow. you know they got to put on blood and tore up shirt and lay on the side of the hill you know and but i was very impressed i really liked kevin costner he was um he was the director and he had direct the scenes and so i got to interact with him quite a bit and i did he was you know he, he was so like a regular guy, you know, yeah. and uh, and I, everybody everybody agreed on that. You know, he was, he was fun to work for. Yeah, isn't that great? I love his westerns, man. He's so great at what he does, for sure. He represents oh, a cowboy really well. Oh, he does. His the way he speaks the, is, uh, you know, you can see his resolve in his eyes and things. You know, I, I I'm a yeah. big fan. There's yeah. a respect for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah. biggest influence. So Clay, who would be your biggest influence to get this thing started? Oh, no doubt. My dad. Um, when I, when I grew up, um, uh, on a, when I was like six years old on a Saturday, 15 kids would come at eight o'clock for writing lessons. Wow. And then 10 o'clock, another 15 kids would come. Then at one o'clock, another 15 kids would come. And then at three o'clock, another 15 kids would come. And then there's 15 kids that are there all day long. 
and he, he and those kids went off to do many things um they some of i know one that became a uh oh uh, you better hear driver of standard breads and you know those uh loma linda 10 50 a.m 106.5 fm and now 102.3 fm mm-hmm.